And here's the beautiful thing, especially if you're staying in this market, um, in the SLP world, SLPs are very communicative. And so we had gotten great advice in that beginning, at least I mentioned earlier about the having a minimal viable product. So what's the smallest part we could get out where it's usable, but we then can get people using it, get their feedback and evolve you know, the product over time. And so that's what we did. Um, and it's why SLP Toolkit is as great as it is today, is we got it in their hands. They were more than willing to share exactly what they needed. And we were always willing to listen. And so I think that is key to being customer centric is that even if you are not the customer and know it intrinsically, that you are not just collecting that information, but you're listening. And then, like you said, prioritizing what makes sense in that grand scheme of all of your user. Hey there, and welcome to the Speechy Side Up podcast. My name is Benita Litvak, and I am so grateful you're here. I'm an ASHA certified speech language pathologist, author, and augmentative and alternative communication consultant who is obsessed with helping SLPs like you stop reinventing the wheel and connect with other SLPs in the trenches. Have you ever wondered how other SLPs seem to be doing it all with ease? Well, around here you'll get to hear firsthand how SLPs are really getting things done while keeping evidence-based practice and self-care in mind. Think of this as a coffee date with your SLP friends. Get ready to be challenged and encouraged while we learn together. Welcome to the Speechy Side Up podcast. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. You can follow along on Instagram at Speechy Side Up. This episode is a little different than my other episodes as it's part of an online business conference called SLP Creative Con that took place on March 18th, 2023. It has been made available for free by Tassel Learning. Live conference attendees got to access other amazing perks like a panel discussion with the speakers, discount codes, free handouts like a business planner, a social media audit, a copywriting guide, a content calendar, and so much more. You can still access all of these perks too, and the recorded video playbacks, and earn 0.7 ASHA CEUs. I'll explain how at the end of this episode with a special gift for Speechy Side Up listeners. But if you can't wait, then just check out the show notes now. Hopefully you're sitting down for this one because you're going to want to write down all of the incredible business tips from the speaker. So grab your pins and get ready to level up your business or creative idea. Oh my God, I cannot believe I have Sarah and Lisa from SLP Toolkit. We were just talking about how, I can't believe we've never done an interview. We've done events together, which has been awesome, but never had them on. So this is like such an honor. I'm so excited for today. It's going to be a little bit off the cuff, a little different than my <laughs> typical, very type A presentations, but we're just going to go with it. And I'm super excited. So they're going to talk to us about lessons you will not read in a business book. And I couldn't think of anybody else who would be better to speak on this topic. Thank you guys so much for coming. Thank, Thank you for, for having, having us. us. Yeah. So here's our agenda for today. Really exciting topics. We'll start with our introductions and backgrounds, all the ASHA stuff that they need. Then we'll talk about the importance of a customer-centric business, which you guys have done a phenomenal job at. Sounds like you have a really good company culture too, and any absolute must that 
people should know when they're starting a business and then definitely the highs and lows of owning a business. I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about that. And then we'll wrap up with our closing. Great. So you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourselves first? Sure. Yeah. I'm Lisa Kathman and I've been an SLP since, uh, the dinosaur times is uh-huh. what Sarah always says. I graduated in the nineties and have always worked pediatrics. Love it. Ended up in the schools full time, um, around 2000 and never looked back. Uh, I've worked in preschool through in the school setting, preschool through junior high levels. And, um, also was the lead in the district where Sarah and I met and, um, yeah, it's, it's been a good ride. I yeah. like it. Yeah. So I've been exclusively in the schools. Um, for over 15 years. And like Lisa said, that's where we met and kind of came together. She was the district lead and we were going to start a project together. And that's kind of how SLP Toolkit was born. We co-founded that eight years ago. Yeah. Wow. Something like that. And then uh, some spinoffs things happened from that, like SLP Summit, which led to a second business, Bright Ideas, um, that we've been doing for the last few years. Then we needed so. an office. So then we bought office space. So we have a third business. <laughs> So I think that's what we get into the presentation. It is interesting how our businesses have evolved. It was never from this, you know, perspective of, oh, it'd be so awesome to just own a business. Yeah. No, yeah. It was like we need this. We don't find this anywhere. So let's just create it. Yeah. Yeah. And I love your story. You guys tell it on the first episode of your podcast, right? Mm-hmm. So if yes. anybody hasn't listened to that, which I'm sure everybody here has, go to listen to that. It's such a good story. And what I think is really interesting that you guys still have your original business idea and it's like thriving. I don't think that that happens a lot. Don't, do you notice that? Like, at least personally, like I started with my co-host on this podcast, Kim, we had a business idea. There was like a gap in the market at the time, but we're no longer doing that. And it's involved into so many different things. So you guys had a great idea from the beginning. Yeah. And, and we've had to pivot a little bit, but you're right. We've really tr- like stayed true to that mission yep. um, where we first, that we first started with. So yeah, I guess I didn't even think about how that might be unique. I think part of that too, was the, the way that we started out, we had great counseling from both our developers that we worked with. And that even, that's a whole other story. If you're doing software to find developers that actually create what you want. That yeah. is not always, you know, what happens out there, but, and we worked a couple of times with business coaches, which I know sometimes people have sort of, um, mixed feelings on that. But I think for us, it was always very purposeful when we did it in kind of short term. And it was always that kind of idea of having a minimal viable product. Like don't build anything too specific to start out with, because you will get feedback. You will get you know, your idea will grow and evolve naturally. So we have the same company, SLP Toolkit, but it looks a lot different now mm-hmm. uh, in terms of functionality of the product or team size. It grew up. Yes, that's sure. what we, I think we often say that, that it's yeah. no longer, we don't even call it a startup. You know, it is a business. It's a small business. And um, we've we've gotten a lot of wisdom over the years just because of being in the business. And we used mm-hmm. to think like, we used to wonder, you like, do we need to go back to we're school? We're still on the presenter slide. Oh, the the oops, buyer. Sorry. I told like, you this is free flow. This is what happens. That's okay. Yeah. 
No, that's amazing. Yeah, we'll talk more about that story. So that's great. And then I think by this point, everybody's heard my bio with the other interviews, but really quickly, I'm an AAC consultant and early intervention therapist. I'm on a mission to help SLP stop reinventing the wheel and connect with other professionals through the podcast. And when I'm not being an SLP, I am hanging out with my two-year-old daughter and my husband and our doggies, who are like two other kids. (laughs) And then here's our financial disclosures. Uh, Who wants to go first? Go ahead, Lisa. Um, I think Sarah and mine are the same for the most part. Financially, we are, have ownership in SLP toolkit and bright ideas media. So um, we're also being compensated for this presentation. And then my non-financial is just that I am a newly appointed member of the ASHA continuing education board. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I'd love to hear more about that. Maybe not today, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I have ownership interest in speechy side up and tassel learning. And I am just a member of Asha, not the board. (laughs) (laughs) And then what I agreed to honestly with that. I, is it a lot of work? I just know it's there after I was texting Sarah and like, Oh, I just found out it's three years. I think I read that, but I forgot that. And I'm like, that's, that's, it's, I think it's gonna be fun. I like that kind of stuff. I like kind of stretching the ability of where we can kind of have our impact as individuals. Um, so I'm excited. Yeah. Awesome. I can't wait to see like how it transpires with you being on the team. How big is the board? I think it's got like, see, I've only had one meeting, um, and it was just an introductory one, but I think it's like eight to 10 ish people. That's awesome. So by the end of this presentation, we hope that everybody will be able to state the importance of a customer-centric business, define a company culture, and identify three things that you need to do before you start a business or when you start a business. So what does it mean to be a customer-centric business? I think that pretty much sums it up. The entire focus needs to be on the customer. Who is the solution for? Um, And it's funny too, because I think back to even when we first launched the application, um, we knew our target audience so well because we were them. And so one of our developers, you know, who was really trying to make sure we understood exactly what we were getting ourselves involved in um, at the very first meeting was like, so why do you want to create a business? And we're like, because we've got this really awesome tool that we know is going to help people. Okay. But why do you want to run a business? Like, that's one thing that you've got a great app idea, but you understand what it's going to take. You're not just going to build this, put it out there and then boom, like you're done, you know? And so he was like, we've got to do some work. You need to know who your target audience is. And we were like, we do, we are our target audience. And he's like, okay, cool. But like, could you go out and survey some more? Yeah, get like, on the phone. And yeah. we're like, what's what's a phone? Yeah. Like, no, we don't call people. Yeah. Can you call your customers? Make sure you, you guys are pretty confident you know what they need, but like, get out there. And I'm like, all right, cool. So I like threw up a survey <laughs> and asked some questions and we were all on the same page um, because we, again, we had the same struggle. Um, and so he went, okay, whatever. If you guys, you guys <laughs> think you've got this. Um, and so I do, I think that's been a huge thing for us is that we weren't just software engineers who had a fun idea or uh, or entrepreneurs on a mission to create a cool product you know this truly came from a place of desperation um we needed a solution to the problems that we were experiencing working in the school-based setting and um so i think because of that like we were truly focused from the beginning on solving this issue for all school-based SLPs. 
Um, so it made it really, I mean, it just made it really easy, I think, to, to have that customer centric focus. Well, and even as business owners, we, I mean, to this day, if somebody asks what we do for a living, I know Sarah and I both say, I'm an SLP. Like, I mean, we are our customer. We identify as, you know, our customer. And so um, that does give you such um, a leg up versus like what Sarah was saying. We have met individuals. I can remember one of the early conventions we went to where it was, this guy was so excited about this software that he created he was an engineer. He had zero. I don't even know if he had talked to somebody in our field. He did things that he thought was cool from a tech perspective. And I think everything that we developed was from that um, as a user thinking of how we would want to use this product. So it was never like, oh, I just love the idea of being an entrepreneur or being called a CEO or, you know, whatever the case is. It wasn't the love for the entrepreneurship. It was really the love for our customer, including, you know, ourselves and what we needed and what we knew our peers desperately needed. Yeah. And that's not to say you couldn't create something, a solution, you know, or maybe you're not the target. Um, you could go out there and like, and like our business, um, our, our software developer wanted us to do, go out there and, and survey and talk to them. And I think the key is, is, is knowing exactly what they need. And here's the beautiful thing, especially if you're staying in this market, um, in the SLP world, SLPs are very communicative. And so we had gotten great advice in that beginning, at least I mentioned earlier about the having a minimal viable product. So what's the smallest part we could get out where it's usable, but we then can get people using it, get their feedback and evolve, you know, the product over time. And so that's what we did. Um, and it's why SLP toolkit is as great as it is today is we got it in their hands they were more than willing to share exactly what they needed. And we were always willing to listen. And there's maybe sometimes where we'd say, I hear this, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that's not going to be a priority, you know? So there were, it's not like we always took every, all it's of not the a feedback. knee-jerk reaction no. to everything every individual wants. But I think the key to what you said is we listen. And so I think that is key to being customer centric is that even if you are not the customer and know it intrinsically, that you are not just collecting that information, but you're listening. And then, like you said, prioritizing what makes sense in that grand scheme of all of your user base. Yeah. And I think that led into too our, our customer, we call it customer happiness. So when you email SLP toolkit for questions, um, you get to talk to one of the customer happiness reps in the very beginning. It was Lisa or I, um, we did have a fake person named Nicole. Um, <laughs> that we created, um, an email account for once. Um, why didn't we even do, oh, because it was weird. So when we first started, <laughs> we, were too, we were still working full-time in the schools and we actually gave it to our school district that first year. And what was kind of funny, because I think, you know, people didn't necessarily jump on the idea of, oh, this is so awesome. Like, I'm going to use it. I feel like when somebody gives you something, I think we had a few, a handful of people that took advantage of it, but we're like, it's real weird if somebody's emailing us from the district. Yeah. From the district. And we're like, Hey, it's you know, Lisa, Lisa hey, it's by Sarah. the way, your Medicaid billings do. Yeah. Or, you know, <laughs> right. So Nicole was on the customer happiness team. Um, and, and now we've got, we've got a, an amazing customer happiness yes. support team. And I think that was something from the beginning, even when it was just us and we were working insane hours, um, we have always been insanely responsive and, you know, prioritized 
that the, the customer happiness piece of it. So the onboarding, getting people to, to understand how to use the product is one part of that. But then the other part is the troubleshooting and the support. Um, and you've got to, you've got to be there for, for your, your users. You've got no product without them. Um, and so I think that's another really key piece is, is you've got to, again, respond in a timely manner, be a community, you know, be effective in your communication and the customer's always right kind of attitude. I used to tell Lisa struggled with this one a little bit more than I did in the early days, but <laughs> Lisa, I'm going to need you to throw some sunshine and rainbows in that email. You know, can you give me at least an exclamation point once in a while and a like smiley face? And emoji? I'm like, can you take one away every now and then? <laughs> All of her sentences ended with exclamation points. I'm like, I'm pretty sure we're not this excited. Yeah. <laughs> if you say we're really excited. Yeah. With that feedback. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you, like, what do you do if someone isn't happy? But I think you guys like kind of explain that you're not always giving in, you're kind of giving and taking and explaining that that just doesn't fit with our our model right now, or maybe it's not a priority right now. And then I wanted to ask you, like, if someone isn't sure who their customer is, like a lot of branding companies, right? We have um, Kristen from Therapy Marketing Kit coming, or she came on already. And she was talking about like identifying that avatar. Like if someone doesn't know who their avatar (laughs) is, what do you recommend? Like, what do you recommend that they do? That was actually our first, um, when I said we've used business coaches strategically and for short-term reasons. We knew our avatar, you know, was us at, in the very beginning, but then when we were like, okay, we're going to quit, we're going to take this leap to go full-time into business. And with that, we need, um, a little like support emotionally (laughs) and really to help focus. Because I think when you go from, we were working full-time, then, um, we had these times outside of work where it becomes really clear what you need to work on. Everything is like, we only have this much time and we have this much to do. But when we went full time with the business, it was like, oh crap, it's nothing but time. And now I feel like we're kind of free falling. So we sat down with um, our one of our dear friends now that was actually just a couple of buildings over and she helped map out your avatar isn't necessarily one person. So we that. actually did um, buckets of who are our three customers in this world. And so for us, it's individual SLPs who are buying the product for themselves. Um, And within that group, you have two avatars. You've got people that are brand new to the field and you have people with experience. So they're going to need different things or need to be talked to in different ways when they're approaching our product. And then our third um, one is just our district customers. So they have a different need than our individuals. They don't always, you know, they want their, their SLPs to be doing the right things and they want to make their lives easier, but they also have very different needs in that they are the ones that are getting like the parent complaints in their ears and going to due process and for the district and all of that. So it's kind of just mapping out, knowing that it's not just one all the time. It's that you might have, you know, different audiences that you're speaking. Well, to. and this was two years, maybe even three years in. So I would say that originally we did have the one we thought we were primarily us, yeah. marketing to individual SLPs. We had no intentions of doing what they call business to business. We were a business to consumer um, software. And so, you know, we, we knew that we did have, like Lisa said, either more seasoned SLPs who had experience or, or the really new ones. Um, and so that's, we did do that, but the districts that came 
again, after the years of experience with the individual SLPs and the districts starting to come to us saying, My, our SLPs need this. They want this. They, what do we they're do? coming to us. With yeah. That. And so for in the beginning days, how do we do this? You need to find out where your customers live. Where are they? And how can you find them? And thank goodness for social media. I honestly think this experience would have been very, very different if we tried to do this 15 years ago or 20 years ago, you know, I don't think MySpace would have cut it. Uh, <laughs> but so, so we knew where we could find them. They were in the Facebook groups, they were on Instagram. Um, and so we paid attention, you know, we learned what are they talking about? What are their needs? What are they asking for? You know, what, what, so we just, we really paid attention to that. We would post things. We would ask, we surveyed sometimes, um, and then we talked to our customers a lot in those early days, um, directly, Lisa and I talking to them to, to get more information and still do to this day. So um, I think that would be the, the key is you've got to know where they're at. It also helps to have, again, that very target market audience. Ideally, would we love to have software like Word, Microsoft Word that everyone in the world needs? Yeah, because our market's huge and we can make a ton of money. Our market's very, very tiny. And so even in the beginning, um, it was like, okay, but why only school-based SLPs? What about the clinics and the hospitals? And wait, how about all providers? Like, why are you just focused on SLPs? And so that was really, really important to us. Again, and I think that's a key to being customer-centric is we knew this was going to be for school-based SLPs. Now it's evolving over, you know, it's been eight years now. It is evolving, but we were focused in on that very, very small market. Um, and so that's how you can really get to know your customer. So you, you brought it up. So I'm going to ask, like, are you thinking about other providers now? Is that like the future for SLP toolkit or something? toolkit? Yes. Yes. I think that's another thing again, that just evolved naturally after, you know, now we're, we're working with districts. Um, and it, again, it makes sense now, um, that we've got this model that's proven and, and we know what works, um, but we want the whole team to be able to support that student. And so the mission is going to be the same, um, but it will be that, you know, this next kind of launch is really to help support the whole team. So all the providers on a multidisciplinary team. I love yeah, that. We actually have a yeah. website for that too. So if, if anybody wants to kind of keep in the loop, it's in development, but it's called copilotapp.com. Love that. Awesome. Yeah. And one of the things that you brought up that I think is so important is the fact that the avatar can change. I love that idea. And that there can be more than one, because that was something that we talked about with Kristen, that a lot of people kind of steer away from that because it feels like you're stereotyping. But the fact that you guys had three, it definitely opens up that door to more people. And I can imagine like, as you grow and people are kind of coming to you, you're developed, you're kind of grabbing onto more avatars along the way. So I appreciate you sharing that too. And the listening piece, uh, you guys described a couple different ways that you're actually actively listening to your customers. One of them is that social listening piece on social media, kind of seeing where they're hanging out. I think this is super important for an online business, right? Where you're not like seeing your customer base face-to-face -face on a daily basis. So I think that that's super important. Then you said that you talk to them. I know you guys go to like conventions. Do you ever like set up calls with your customers? Like two? We did in the, in the early days, we actually had focus groups. Um, 
And so, and it's interesting actually, because we would zoom, they'd be from all over the place. Um, and we were, you know, really excited about it. Um, but even as you know, trying to get us to schedule this interview, uh, getting Lisa and I to commit and actually stick with the plan, um, and have like, like hurting processes. Cats. Yeah. And like, it's, it's really tough. So it didn't go as smooth. I'm sure any, if anybody on those focus groups is listening to this, they're probably like, yeah, we met like twice and then you guys flaked out. Um, so we did, we did try to set things up, but I think that conventions have been the coolest part is because then we are talking at, you know, we have a booth typically. And so people will come up and, and a lot of times it is our customers and we get to meet them and talk to them in person. And, um, I think that is something though we do have, we do have want to take more time and opportunity to kind of set those groups up and really, yeah, really do that. But it's nice to, if you can do some kind of small focus group where you're getting a lot of feedback um, personally is, is ideal. And again, that we don't have to, I think our very first focus group was in our school district. We oh, yeah, invited right. some of the SLPs in our school district out to like a lunch. Do you remember that? Yes. Like it was like a lunch or something on a Saturday and we had some like snacks and, and talked. And I know, I think one of the things that it, I don't even think this is just when you're new, I think even now it's like what you're going to find is that these ideas you have, you have so many things you want to do, you know? And so with us, with this kind of mentality of, well, we can do anything. Like, I think we both always had that, uh, that mentality of just like, you know, we'll figure stuff out, even if it's hard, but where we, um, struggled early on was we didn't always have that follow through, like Sarah said, because I just don't think we had the, the, um, bandwidth when it was just the two of us or, and we had some contract, I mean, now we're growing our team. And, um, I think some of those cool ideas that have been in the parking lot for many, many, many years, we're starting to bubble back up. So I know even Sarah had talked about our customer happiness team, they do one-on-one calls for new customers and they, you know, gather feedback in different ways. And so, um, the, the, the opportunities now, because everything's virtual, I think are, are endless. You can have a focus group truly, um, across the whole country, because that's one of those things you don't think about too, that if you are having an SLP specific business, um, then, you know, the SLPs in Arizona might have different caseloads and workloads. And, um, you know, we all have to follow the federal mandates, but they might have diff- different district kind of, pain points and yeah. And yeah. policies. So you need to know what is it like for the, the SLP in New York and what's it like for the SLP in Iowa and the SLP in Washington? Like you just never know. So take that time. Um, even if it's not, you know, something you're super comfortable with, like, I know that was hard yeah. for us too, but, but do it. Oh, I, one more thing. Cause I know, I mean, I know like, again, we can, we can talk about just this for an hour, I know, but one more that. thing I did think was super, super important that I learned years later, um, that is, is a key. I think too, once you've really got an, you know, something established with your customer support, um, is the NPS, net promoter score. And this was something I learned maybe like three or four years in, I was a part of a, an entrepreneur group. Um, start, it was a startup group here in Arizona. That was so cool. Cause I got to learn some really cool businessy things. Um, talk about being a fish out of water though. I was like so embarrassed to be a part of this because I had zero business at the time. But anyway, so the NPS. So what that is, is it's a, just a survey that, that like ours shows up in the app and it goes out randomly and it literally just says, I think our question, it can be a couple different ideas, but our question is, would you, how likely are you to recommend this product to someone else? 
I'm sure you guys have seen these when you're in, in, in apps and seen them. And so then they rate one through 10. And so based on that score, we know that they, these are, they're either super, super happy and they love the product, meh, meh. neutral, <laughs> or no, they're not. And then we are able to then take that information and one, look at things like geography or, or, you know, how often are they using the product or all of these things. But we also then follow up and reach out. If you gave us a low meh score, you know, we want to know why um, and see if there's something that maybe you just weren't aware of, or yeah, you're right. The solution isn't for you. Um, and so then we can take that information and again, use that to help guide us too. So those are the kinds of things. I think that net promoter score is probably one of our best metrics that shows us that we are meeting the needs of our customers. Um, and it's what we use consistent, consistently to make sure that we are doing exactly this, you know, the, the customer-centric business. Yeah, I love so, that idea. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that one. And it makes me wonder, we don't want to, I don't want to like allude to this, but I'm sure this happens sometimes. People cancel their membership. How mm -hmm. do you follow up with them? Like, do you do anything with those customers? We knock on their door and we say, <laughs> what's up? <laughs> as part of the what we would call offboarding um okay. when you cancel we we do ask some questions and it okay. is solely because we are trying to track is it because it was too time consuming is it because it wasn't helpful at all was it too expensive um you know we, we are asking so that we can use that data to track and and make sure again that we're staying on on target um and then we will do some um what would we call like reach outs, you know, every once in a while, just even to tell them that like, Hey, we've, we've updated the, a new feature that now we think might be more relevant to you or, Hey, you, we, you know, we understand, we don't want you to pay for it either. Um, but maybe get your district on board, have them call us. We'd you know love to talk to them about how maybe they can help provide this software for you. Um, so, so we will use that information for some follow-ups, um, kind of, I think we have some offboarding where we do something maybe at the 30 day, then the 60 day, and then There's, the 90 day, there is a lot of automation in email software. So I think when you're, you know, really new, um, exploring what might work, but thinking of it, this is really hard, but thinking of, of it from a growth perspective too, like looking at how robust a tool is, can you, can it grow with you? So, but a lot of those tools for specifically reaching out to your customers, they have all of that kind of baked in where you can set things up on automation and, and have things go out at timelines and, and, and kind of help you. So you're not doing everything so manually. And I will say, and I, I think that still falls into this slide. I know we will move on. I promise. <laughs> will we? Maybe. <laughs> but it just made me think of one more thing. That's the other thing that was super, super important to us in the very beginning is not being salesy, not being overly markety, not being over like we, I hated like even people would come up to the booth and they would say, well, how much is it? And I would just like freeze, freeze and skate around well, it, um, you know? Oh, yeah. oh, I hated it. And so again, that was something the business coach had told us early on is um, you don't have a business. If you don't make money, you have a hobby um, and that's really <laughs> sweet of you. And maybe if you had a grant or something, you could be so generous to get this to everyone, but you have to make money and your customer is giving, paying you as a way to say, thank you for a solution that they're really loving and using. So get over this whole weird money thing in your head. And I know you want to give it to your customers for free, but that's just, that's not reality. So you got to get past that. Um, but so, so then when we would start to look at the, the marketing and sales and the campaigns and things that we, that we were going to do, we met with, you know, outside marketing companies and things, and it never worked for us because they weren't talking to our customer. Um, it was very much like, and what was the one line that we always used to laugh? 
Um, and there's more, yeah. you know, or like they've got all these like catchy little slogans that they're trying to like really sell. And that's not all. And that's not all. Um, For $9.99, you I, can, no, just joking. I think but, what's interesting too, like thinking about the pricing, we aren't even at a crazy price no. point. I think it's a very, we actually, when we priced it and we've only done one price increase over, we started our business eight years ago, launched seven years ago. And there's only been one, like maybe 10% um, price increase. And it was a small uh, price point to begin with. I think knowing your customer though, too, is when we priced it, we thought about if we were working in the schools, what would a resource like this be a value? You know, what would we pay for it? What could we pay for it? And so I think that's where some people when they're new to business can get a little stuck too, because there are a lot of those kind of like Amy Porterfields or like, you know, those, these people that sell certain products and they're marketed to business people that um, are willing to drop 10 grand on a course. Right. And yeah. so that's not, if you're selling to SLPs individually, most of them, and I'm not going to say all of them because there are going to be maybe SLP businesses that want to take um, steps to really grow from another SLP. I, I mean, I don't know. I know that, that that is a possibility, but your audience, if you are selling to individual SLPs, most of them do not have, you know, even conferences sometimes that we see priced that, ASHA is unaffordable. Honestly, the ASHA conference for most of us between travel and attending and all of your meals and everything, that was nothing I was ever able to do until my district, it was a local conference and my district paid for the convention. And then I was like, okay, I can get, I know somebody in this city, I can drive there and, um, and I can swing the, you know, the meals while I'm there, the, the lift rides or whatever. Yeah. Totally. I do. I think that is key. We have had so many opinions. <laughs> over the last eight years, as we've worked with other people and brought other people onto the team about this is ridiculous. You're we're, we're what we, you call a SaaS company. So software as a service where you're paying a subscription fee. Um, and so if you look at comparable businesses, you should be charging way more money. And again, it's like, you don't know our customer like we do. And that's not that's it's, it's not appropriate. And so, you know, we're, we're going to do what again is, is best for, our user, um, and that they still are getting value from the product. And, you know, how can we keep that price price point at a, at a point that makes sense? Yeah. And you're solving a problem. This is simplifying it. So I forgive me for saying this, but it's like, essentially like you're solving a problem that SLPs maybe shouldn't even have in like the first place. So it's like, same thing with ASHA CEUs. Like, I'm like, man, like I feel bad charging for those because they shouldn't even have to like, get these ashes to use in the first place. So that's why yes. we're always putting the podcast like for free. The information is still for free, but as you guys know, being providers, like there's so much that goes on in the back end to being a provider and doing the automatic reporting and all that. So just to say like, yes, it's very different for our field and the type of product that we're providing to make their jobs like easier when it should be easier to start yes. with. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, and I said. think that's our customer's mentality though, too, because I don't know if you run into this, but we get, you know, we do as much as we can for free, yeah. honestly, but yeah, there are that you, like Sarah said, you have to, you, you can't have a business and our business. It's not just Sarah and me. Like we have a team of people now to run it, to do software, to do it on any, on any of the businesses that we have, you need money to keep it sustainable. But I do think that, that because people don't want to pay for things. There are customers too. They're like, well, just everything should be free. You know? So that's probably where, you know, some of that guilt of like saying, oh, we, we have to charge for this. I'm sorry. Like, it's not a sorry thing. I don't want to ever, you know, like we ha have already talked about, I don't want to charge so much that it's, you know, 
you don't it's unachievable for everyone to use. It is accessible, but, um, but it just, we, you know, we can't do everything for free. It's just not realistic. Well, and you're working with school districts. I feel like that's a really great way to kind of circumvent that is like going to the source. <laughs> like the them market. to pay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so SLP listening, if you need the SLP toolkit, you don't yes. have it already, get your school district right. to pay for it. That's right. That's a really good topic. And you're right. We definitely could have like stayed there all day, but you guys have such a good company culture, at least like from what I can see on the outside. So let's talk about the importance of it. Yeah. So this was, this just happened kind of organically um, where I think again, you know, knowing the customer was, is our focus and priority. The next piece was um, being authentically ourselves and, and who are we and what does that look like? Um, and in the early days, it really was about Lisa and I, you know, we, yeah, we were our company. Culture. We were the company culture. It was just the two of us, the software engineers, we, we paid them. They weren't a part of the company at the time. Um, and so it was just us doing everything. And so that's where, you know, we kind of like organically figured out that we were absurd and ridiculous <laughs> and that we were willing to like do the most insane things like roller skating and holding a hedgehog in our office and, and, you know, just like starting a podcast called true confessions, where we literally admit to all the stupid, horrible things we've done um, and still do. And, still do. Yeah. Um, and so that was really, really, that just happened naturally. It is just who we are. We really wanted to make sure. I think that um, we were relatable um, and so that like that people really knew that we understood their pain points and, and who they were. And, um, there's a weird ideal ideal in this field for a long time. I felt like where there's a bit of a stick up the ass, um, a little bit like everybody's, you know, almost afraid to admit they don't know everything. It's, I, that's just me. Maybe that's just my interpretation of, you know, this idea of always being the expert. Um, and I, we wanted to stop that, you know, we really wanted to kind of change, that narrative. Um, and so we just, we put ourselves out there and it just grew in the most fun and crazy ways. Um, but then you start to bring people on. And so it's like, how do you do that? Well, we needed to define who it was we were looking for. Um, and so that's where we came up with our core values and our, um, mission purpose. purpose. Thank you. Our purpose and our core values. Um, so that we made sure we brought people on that fit those same values. And so that made sense. One that we wanted them obviously to like want to work with us, um, because they had the same purpose and mission. Um, but also that they were going to be able to handle the fact that we're ridiculous and, you know, crazy. And we and work a lot, but we laugh a lot. You know, there are going to be always in anything you do, there'll be highs and lows. So you've just got to like, make sure that you are loving what you're doing, loving who you're working with, figuring stuff out, um, and having the energy to just know, like, I think one of the funny things too, like one of the sayings we got when Sarah was even in the entrepreneur collective that she was in, or when we talked to people that were in business roles outside of our SLP world, they were always like, oh my gosh, like what you guys are doing, like helping children and in, in special education. And we got to the point, cause I'm like, I don't even ever think that 
maybe, I don't want to say this wrong, but I'm like, that was not a big deal. Like, I'm like, that's what we do. We're speech language pathologists. Everybody, every one of us works with, with people with, you know, treatment plans and whatever. But we got to the point where like, it's for the children. Anytime <laughs> we did any, like, you know, every it's, it's for the children, really everything we do. But that is, that was the purpose is, and then we right. wanted to make sure that people came on board on this team who understood exactly who we were serving. You know, although it's a it's software for the SLP, the ultimate, you know, goal is that it improves student outcomes. Um and so it, you know, that was really important to us and then um yeah, it's for the children. Now I will say we had about eight core values <laughs> um in the early days because uh, I don't know, we're just verbose obviously listening to this podcast. Um but we we've, we've we've shrunk those down a little bit. And so we use that in information to help again, just to figure out the talent. And so we've got really great advice early on. Um, well, one piece was hire slow and fire fast. Um, and I loved that. So as part, we do a very lengthy interview process. It's multiple things over time, but a lot of the questions are are looking at, do you fit these, these core values um, that we have? So, well, and that was what another, one of our business coaches helped us kind of with that process where it was like, you want somebody to look at your listing. And if they do not fit in your company culture, it's almost like they're going to be repulsed by the, <laughs> by the listing. Like you need to infuse their role with your core values. So if somebody does not fit that, it's very clear to them, like, uh, I'm not sure that yeah. this is where I want to work. And then we definitely don't want you to work with us if yeah. you don't share our, our core values. Yeah. yeah. And that's important too, with, um, even the direction of social media. Um, I think one of the first instances happened a, a few years ago where we were outspoken on some things that were really important to us. And, and we got some blowback. Um, we had customers tell us that they no longer wanted to use the software anymore because they didn't align with those, those thoughts and feelings and, and Hey, cool. Um, but we got some other comments about like, I don't understand as a business, why are you making these personal statements? Um, they are, they're our company culture. They're who we are and they are our core values. And I thought, Oh, but you wouldn't know that. Cause we never told you what our core values are. You know, I need to, we need to publish these so people understand exactly why it is that we decided, you know, when we pick and choose on, on different things, what we're going to show on social media. Um, and so your whole company needs to be in alignment with that as well. Um, or it just, it won't work. That's such a great suggestion to like put your core values out there as well. I've seen people do it in Facebook groups, not like values, but like, you know, the rules that they have. I think sometimes it could come through on the rules, but just in general, putting it out like on Instagram and maybe keeping, you know, reminding people having it on your website. I think that's a really great suggestion. Thanks for yeah. sharing that. Yeah. So what's one question that you ask in the interview process that you wouldn't mind sharing that maybe is kind of like, out of the box? Are they all pretty standard? No, like even we just hired two new software developers. And I think we threw them for a loop because obviously there was a lot of technical questions in, in the interview. Um, but I asked, um, well, a couple, the one that comes off the top of my mind, though, is I, I asked something along the lines of, tell me one um, social injustice issue that you feel passionate about, or what's something that, you know, that you're seeing that um, is a, an issue with, with injustice. And you could tell that both the developers were like, huh? <laughs> the hell does that have to do with anything? But you know, we needed to know like our, our very first um, core values about being inclusive and collaborative. Um, and, you know, we are, inclusion is really important to us. And so it's, I was trying to kind of get at, you know, where do they, they fall in line with some of these more serious issues. Um, I'm trying to think what the other one was. There was another one where you could tell they were just like, 
Well, I think in general, the whole idea of hiring our first um, hire was actually an SLP that what that did our customer happiness and now is like uh, moving up doing other things for us as well. But um, part of that process was breaking down your core values or first of all, thinking of that role and what are those skills that you have to have in this role? What are their talents? Like what would the ideal person look like? Look at your core values and then when you're asking, um, the, the, our business coach had recommended doing kind of different um, tiers of interviews. So you take all of your applications. There are some people in the applications you can just disqualify right away. Like maybe they don't have the the um, specific qualifications you need in this candidate. So like if it was an engineer and they have no experience coding, they just thought it'd be cool to interview, that's not going to work. So you can, you know, disclude those people. But then the next tier is just a screening and it is questions like that. And I remember asking like, um, so one of the, the positions we um, talked about, it was like, you want somebody in this position to be a networker. Like that's a key talent in this role. And I'm like, how do you know if somebody's a networker? I mean, are you going to say, are you a networker? And then if you ask a question like that, they're like, um, going to be like, yeah, yeah, I am. Because you led them into saying that, oh, this is something I need to be. And so this business coach was like, no, these kind of talents will naturally bubble up when you ask those kind of questions, like what is the social injustice? Or tell me about, you know, your, um, your, I don't know. I'm thinking of some yeah, of those. I'm trying to, I wish we had in like, front of us. Maybe we could send them to you. How, you can attach them as a resource. How would you, how would a colleague describe you or a best friend describe you or something where they're just talking? And she said, so even for something like networker, it's it, if they're talking about a colleague. So I was, uh, you know, just talking about this with, um, you know, this person over here. And then we've talked about, we're sharing it with this. And it, the answers kind of come up inherently in these open-ended, non-role specific type yeah. of questions that then from there you are, can kind of make it where you're like, okay, I can see these talents have emerged in the screen. And then we can go to a full interview with sort of our final candidates. So well, I was just thinking of the one too. Um, one of our core values is to have fun. And it, the, under the value, it says we enjoy life and wear our positive pants. Um, and so with those software engineers, <laughs> I made, I asked them, how do you feel about um, wearing costumes and taking ridiculous photos for holiday cards? And they were both just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't understand why you're asking these questions. And plus, these are engineers too. And so that is the funniest. And we're just asking have. questions with no feedback at this point, by the way. So when we hired them on later, I did tell them, I go, the reason I asked some of those ridiculous questions we sprinkled <laughs> in there was because we want to make sure that, you know, like you can be lighthearted and understand that we like to be silly and crazy. And, and there is a holiday card that goes out every year and you never know what's going to be. So. <laughs> yeah. And I think people sometimes are afraid, right? To like, give the wrong answer in an interview so when it comes completely from left field they're like how should we answer this exactly I remember my um actually I'll save that for another day I think <laughs> <laughs> this was like back in the 70s my father-in-law told me a good story about like how he would hire people but I don't think it's appropriate anymore so. <laughs> like, we don't want this on recording anything that our father or father-in-law said the in the 70s yeah yeah, yeah. so forget that but um, I love it. I love how you guys like do it with everybody down to the engineers. Do you do this down with contractors? engineers? Yeah. What was that? Do you do it with contractors as well? Like, or just, no. Okay. No, not as much. I will say though, ironically, they tend to just fit into that. That's the other thing. I always feel like, I mean, this was something I think I read in, what was that book I read that in the early days that I loved? It was just inspiring. One of those feel good books, but it was talking about how an idea wants to be born. 
Uh, Big Magic? Big Magic. That was it. Yes. Yes. And I do want to be born. And so if it's not you, it's going to be somebody else. But once you're ready to commit and put the action in, the doors will just start to open and things will just start to happen. And I don't want to, we'll get into highs and lows. I don't want to mislead anyone that this has been a piece of cake and a breeze by any stretch. We've had failures and whatever, but Lisa and I, I think that's why this also kind of works. We're very instinctual and we really kind of like, you know, tend to lean on that a little bit. So maybe that's why, you know, this isn't a business 101 course either, um, is I think that has been really critical for us going with our gut and our feelings and, and people have come in our life right when they're supposed to, it has been the most interesting experience. Um, I think, yeah. And I think the difference too, why we don't necessarily do it with contractors is your employees are your family. So, you know, like they are part of then your company culture, our contractors for the most part have become like family because they have stayed with us, um, a long time, but it, I think some of the contractors that we could tell right away were not a part of our culture. They're it's gone. Yeah, yeah. It was easy to just be like, you know, I think we hit the the end with this person, but we don't want to go through that. It's a lot easier to bring on a contractor and to then exit a contractor than it is an employee. We want to make sure that it's a good fit mutually, that they are thrilled to work, you know, at team toolkit. And then, and also we are, you know, we want to be excited about having them on the team. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So if anybody is just starting out, where should they start? Oh gosh. I'll tell you where we started. I don't know if it was the right way, but it did kind of get us thinking in a more business. Are you talking about the LLC? Oh, well, we, we were super excited about, but I don't even know if it's dumb things for us. I look back and I'm like, why was I so excited that that when we formed our LLC, we were like, ah, we got a business. Yeah. <laughs> I bought a sign. We worked out of her grandfather's building in these like, you know, old, like kind of little office rooms. And they had the slider, um, plaque, plaque things that you could just slide in. And I ordered one that said SLP toolkit. It had, I think our names on it or something. And so it was stuff like that where we were like, okay, yes. And I think we thought too, like, you just, you, you start this and then like everything will just come to you. But no, I know none of that. I first yeah. and foremost, just start. Yes. There would not be an SLP toolkit if Lisa did not annoyingly put <laughs> on my calendar every Friday at 3.30, she'd come to my house to meet and I would be leaving school and I'd be thinking, please don't come. Like, please don't show up to you. I'm so tired. And I don't even care anymore. It sounded cool. <laughs> it sounded like a good idea. It's cool on Monday. But then today, and then she'd friggin' ring that damn doorbell and I would be like, ugh. And so she, we, she would come in and we would just sit and kind of at first just brainstorming right. and, and researching and trying to, again, I think that's a key too. And I think SLPs naturally are this for the most part. We're resourceful. Like we don't know everything. We had zero idea on what it was going to take to run a business, um, but we'll find it. We're going to find that answer um, if it's the last thing we do. Um, and so it was a lot of that in the early days. Okay. So what is this solution? What is it going to look like? What's it going to take to build? We knew we were going to do an application. I was calling website designers to ask them if they'd build an application. They'd be like, um, we design websites. And I'm like, yeah. Like the landing page, the marketing. That's, landing that's what I'm asking about. And they're like, no, you're talking about a software engineer. And I'm like, thank you. Okay, now I'll call a software engineer. And so it's that kind of stuff too. You have to be resourceful. But honestly, the key is 
one step at a time. You have to start and persevere. Got to put that action into place. Um, And then, you know, it's not for everyone, but our partnership was really, again, critical. It wouldn't have happened if I was left solo and on my own to do this. Um, But it's a very, what do they say? Like the highest percentage of like, oh, what's the only ship that sinks a partnership? Yes. So (laughs) you have to, it's true. It is, it is very hard to have a partnership in business. Um, and so one, I think the greatest thing that happened with us is uh, we didn't know each other that well at all. We weren't friends. We were coworkers who barely even worked together that much. Yeah. So we didn't even know, like, I think strengths and needs at that time of each yeah. other. So I think sometimes you line because in your head, this person is exactly who you want to like, literally for us, I like put out an all call and I'm like, who wants to do it? She's like me. And we thought it was a project we were going to start on like a paper level for our district. And then as we did start to meet and talk about it, we're like, no, this is, you can't ever do this, you know, as a side project for the school district, we need a business. So, so that, that was key though, is we got really good advice early on is you need to have a partnership agreement and it needs to be very specific so that if likely when for most partnerships, you divorce, it is very clear how, how you're going to separate that. Um, a prenup basically. Yeah, pretty much. And so if, if you're going to do a partnership again, make sure you really align that you do complement each other with your strengths and needs. Um, and then just have that very specific agreement on what this is going to look like. Um, and then if you're, if you're, whether you're partnership or solo, it is all about finding the right people. Um, you need to have, you know, if there's women who start up groups in your area, or business groups, um, you know, whatever kind of business you're in, go to, they have free networking things all the time. And you can go talk to these people. And a lot of times there's lawyers there, there's accountants there, there's software engineers there, and it's free. You you can go and ask questions and start talking to people. um, And so that you can get all of the businessy stuff done. I will say Lisa and I, I don't consider that we ran a actual business until last year? Well, that's, yeah, probably. I was gonna say year four. I think before that we were doing the bare minimum. Like what do we need to do to get this off the ground? Okay. Well, we know we've got the product founder engineers did it. Now we need customer support. Like, how are we going to handle that? How are we going to, what software program are we going to use to answer these emails and get these tickets in? And, you know, so then it was, just, it's always just been one social media. Where the hell do we even start? We called Ann Page because we knew she was beautiful speech life. We knew she was local. She'd never heard of us before, but we said, hey, will you come meet us? Because you clearly know what you're doing on Instagram. And, um, and she did. She did. She took it. She met us for lunch and I had a notepad out and she just word vomited all the things she had learned because she'd been doing this longer than us. And I took copious notes. <laughs> um, and, and a lot of that was so huge. Um, and so I think that's the key is, is you just got to kind of one step at a time and then you're going to learn, oh shoot, now we've got to think about this taxes. And oh. then we've got to think about, you know, and so it, it will all kind of come up um, as it should. You do not have to know everything at once. You won't know everything at once. We still don't. But, you know, you just got to get in there and start chipping away at all those things. And again, have the right people and advice. But, oh, that being said, you don't listen to everybody. It's like having a baby. Yeah. Like you're going to get a lot of opinions. And so even thinking of that MVP, when we were talking to our engineers, um, they thought MVP meant let's just release the software and have it support 
kindergarten students. And we're like, uh-huh, no, that'll never work. Right. So you still have to stand true to what you have your truth in and what you know would be best for your business. But, you know, take it, you know, like I said, when you have a baby, everybody has opinions about what um, diapers they should use and how you should parent and this and that and that. It's great. Take it in, listen, but then, you know, go with your it. gut and your instinct. I, I cannot stress that enough because you will get a lot of advice and it's not all good. Um, so you, you definitely need to filter that through your lens, but and, start with action. I mean, yeah. I think that is that, where do you start is it's action it's do it and then keep doing it. And then you're going to want to stop, but then you're just going to keep doing the next step. And so if it gets overwhelming, just focus on that little next step. You don't always have to be thinking of the, the great big giant picture at every moment. Like that's kind of always floating out there, but you know, your resources, especially when you're a new business owner, it's, you know, you, they are limited and you've got to just make sure that you are moving forward and that you believe in yourself. Fake it till you make it. I, that networking thing I told you I did in the early days that it was a year long business kind of coaching thing in the, in the AZ it's called AZ startup foundation. Um, I faked it every single time I met with those people. I acted like I knew what the hell I was doing. I did not. And I, you know, I just tried to, I showed up and I was, you know, tried to just take, absorbing. It, yeah. Yeah, take in all the information I could. Um, but if I had let my imposter syndrome and insecurity get in the way, I wouldn't have got, gone to a single one of those meetings. I was terrified. Um, and it was such a valuable experience. So you, sometimes you just have to fake it and yeah. show up and show up. Such good advice. I would agree with like all of those, but you guys have way more experience than I do. So this has been awesome hearing it from you. You had said like that people should look at their community, look for those free resources. How did you find out about the Easy Startup Foundation? And like, how do you find out about the business events? That one, we had a marketing strategist who was like, hey, I think you guys are great candidates for this. You should apply. You know, they pick a new cohort every year and just, you know, check it out. And so we looked into it. Um, women who start up, that came as a, a reference from somebody, I think Pam Slim, who was our business coach. Um, you know, and so if you just, if you go online and just look at either what type of business you're doing or just any kind of startup networking events. Um, a lot of cities have these initiatives. Like and 1 million cups. I think even too, it's just, when we were first starting our business, we didn't understand even that any type of resource existed. We thought we were going to be doing it all on our own. As we got more into the business and we're meeting more people that were in these other business world. So, you, you know, you start to network and they're like, they'll do the introductions. But I think most cities, if you're in a very rural area, I don't know if you can tap into like the, the closest um, major city, but a lot of like, even in the Phoenix area where we're based, there's Phoenix, there's Mesa, there's Glendale, there's Tempe, there's Chandler, even the small suburbs, they have these business initiatives that are meant to support small business. And I, it took us a long time to kind of get out of our own way of that, you know, well, we're not like a bit, like we're not selling, like, you know, we're not, not making cookies at a bakery or we're not, you know, doing this or we're not doing that. We don't qualify for these like kind of business experiences and nothing could be farther from the truth. You know, anything you do it, it, when you're starting your business, your business belongs in that same group as any other business out there. Yeah, Definitely. How do you deal with the naysayers? Like, did you, I'm sure you encountered this, or at least in the beginning, people saying that that idea is not going to work. It's not needed. How did you deal with that? Well, one of our oh. um, developers, who's now one of our business partners would always tell us we couldn't do things just to light a fire under our ass because neither of us take very 
well to the idea of, of somebody telling us we can't do something. Yeah. So I think it was always, if we had naysayers, it was usually our own selves to ourselves. And that We're was both only daughters. And we think our parents really screwed us up <laughs> by always like overflating our egos or something. I don't know. Maybe, maybe our brothers, our brothers just suck. Because we, were great. we did. We've always had that mentality of, oh, really? Let me show you. So right. I actually like it. I love when t- somebody tells me that's not going to work or you can't do it. I'm like, mm-hmm. So I think for us too, like we were our own worst enemy, but that was the great thing about having a partner is that I feel like our mood swings kind of, um, they didn't overlap. It was like, if I was feeling like we can't do this, Sarah was there to say, we absolutely can. And let's, you know, let's do X, Y, and Z and vice versa. When she was feeling lower about something, I could come in and help support. And we would get through that. So even if you don't have a business partner, I think having, um, it could be your best friend. It could be a colleague. It could be, you know, a spouse, you need whatever corner you need. You know, we both sat down with our families when we first started, you know, I was, um, a single mom to two little kids and Sarah was living with her husband and, and two kids. And we both had talks with our families of, we need you to be a part of this. You're not going to always understand it. It is going to take time a lot of sacrifice from you and from our family and what we can do. And we are, I talked to my parents because I'm like, I might be relying on you guys more to fill in some of this. Um, we had, uh, I think we're going to get to business highs and lows. Um, but like thinking of the lows, like, especially when you're first starting, like money is a big deal for most people. I would say 99.9% of people that is one of the biggest fears about starting a business is how do I get the revenue? And I think it was interesting that the collective that she was in, she was in with groups that they didn't even start a business till they did all of their like funding. And I have a million dollars to work with. We were the exact opposite. We bootstrapped everything. And we were like, okay, I've got this much money on a, um, on this credit card. And Sarah pulled out some some from uh, life Life insurance. insurance. And it was once we committed to ourselves and each other, we were like, this is what we want to do. And we're going to go all in because we had one person say too, like, how are you going to expect other people to give you money? If you don't even sacrifice yourself to go in. And so it, this is not for everyone, but this is how it worked for us. And so sort of the ripple effect of that too, is there was a period of time I lived with my parents, my two kids and I moved, I was like, I can't do this. I can't keep working full time, doing a business, pouring all of this money in paying rent. I just, I can't do it. So I moved in with my parents. And, um, so that's scary. Money is scary. Money is scary. Lack of security from lack of money is scary. And again, that is where I have to say we are very privileged that we were in a position to have credit cards to max out, to live with my parents and to live with your parents. And then I had a life insurance policy that I could borrow money from. Um, and so again, I think that's the ideal too, is were we all in and we're willing to go into insane amounts of debt? Yes. But again, we were fortunate that we were in a position to be able to do that. You know, I would think that the worst case scenario we used to tell ourselves is so we fail and we go back and get a job. You know, right. I was like, I file bankruptcy and I get a job because I still can, because I still have the degree that got me the job that I had when I left. So that is a very different level of risk. Yes. So I do think that is, it's a challenging thing to say, just make it work, figure it out, you know, bootstrap and, and go into debt. I had my electric turned off a few times. I had water shut off while I was out of town when the kids were home (laughs) with the babysitter. Um, you know, like it was, those were some low lows. That ideal idea of like, we weren't done with development, but we ran out of money. Um, And so, you know, but we had to have these things fixed because by the way, you don't just create software and send it out in the world. There's troubleshooting and bugs and tech issues. 
and then continued feature development, but we were out of, of money. Um, and so the, the, that was definitely, there were some low times when it came to the, the financial piece of it, but we never like, we didn't give up. I think that was, was key is, so we ran out of money. We don't have any money to pay the developers. Hey, what do you guys think about sweat equity? Do you want a little bit of equity in the company? And then you'll work for free, you know, to, to earn that, off, you know, that off. And so they agreed to do it, which is insane. Cause literally my negotiating skills came from shark tank. <laughs> <laughs> and we actually did this crazy like valuation on our company. And it, I responded to the email at first when we yes. did our own valuation and like compose this email and send it off. They didn't even respond yeah. at first. And we're like, oh. What do you think they're thinking about it? And then really like you realize, like, no, they think it's absolutely ridiculous yeah. what we valued our company at a year <laughs> in with like 20 customers. Yeah. And I think the other lows too. I mean, time. We worked full time that first two years, then part-time the third year while doing this. And so, like Lisa said, thank goodness our families were supportive. We they sacrificed a lot. And our kids were younger, still in school when we first started this. And so we missed out on a lot of things, but they were in it with us. They believed in us and, and supported us. Maybe it's a high too. Well, I was going to say, it was so nice that we had such an awesome support system. Even yeah. I think to flip that into the high, both of my kids on separate occasions, like even when they were little, you know, when this was early on, they're now um, almost 19 and 22, but you know, at the time, like 11 and I guess, what is that? I can't do math right now. Uh, 11 and 14, but they would say like, you know, oh, when I have my business, because they saw Sarah and I doing it. And they were so excited about it. And like that mentality of as much as Sarah and I said, our parents loved us as being the only daughter, we had brothers, but, um, but that I never, I always believed I could do things, but I thought it was always going to be a traditional route. I never thought that I was going to start a business. I didn't start that our business that we started, I'm turning 50 this year. So I was in my forties when I, you know, said, yes, as the mother of two kids and my only source of security financial is this job I have, but oh, I guess we're going to chuck it and we're going to, we're going to roll the dice and see how it goes. Like, I think there is like this balance of, you know, there is a lot of stress involved with these decisions. You can have very high highs. You yeah. can have very low lows. Oh, and the I, mental health yeah. piece of it. Oh, I've gained 50 pounds, oh, you know, my starting a, a business. Yes. Like, I think it's, I just... have switched medications several times. Um, it has absolutely taken a toll on our health in some, in some ways, you know, and, and so again, that's been a lot of life learning lessons on how to manage and deal with all of the stress and, and things that come with the business. But, you know, the pros is the freedom that we have, um, you know, to be able to do like really cool stuff. We, nobody's telling us, Hey, you know, go and do A, B, and C. We get to say, hey, what about this? Like, really cool thing. And like, how can we make this work? And, um, and I think that has been the creativity piece and the impact on the field. I think that yes. was hard for both of us Huge. when we first left working with kids. Even we love our job, we love being at school SLPs, we loved working in that community. But what we're doing now, you know, we looked at, we're like, we're still reaching what we love in a different way, yeah. but we're still, you know, positively impacting the lives of children through, by supporting the people that are, are working with them. Yeah. So the community yeah, that we work awesome. with yeah. is awesome. Whether it be like Sarah was saying at conventions, when we meet SLPs or even like, you know, there's this great community too, of that you, you network with SLPs that are also in the business space or are, you know, are on social media, and then you get to meet them in real life. You know, like it's, it's such yeah. a cool 
community and, um, and being your own boss is super awesome. <laughs> I'm um, your boss. You're not my boss. <laughs> um, that I think it's, it's again, the freedom that comes with that, um, is uh, such a pro. It's not, I love not having somebody tell me what to do. Um, but it's also a low, there's some cons to it too, is because nobody's telling me what to do. I have to make a lot of really hard decisions. Um, and I feel a lot of pressure and stress from that sometimes, especially now that we've got a growing team of people who are depending on us, you know, to be successful. Yeah. And Sarah is our CEO. So she's making, you know, obviously it's always within, you know, the, the idea of what's being filtered in through the team, but she is making the final decision that basically then does impact the whole team. No pressure. Yeah, no. Right. You wanna- so there is, again, there's, <laughs> I think we could, I mean, again, I know we're way over time too, aren't we? Oh gosh. Yes. I, we should have done two hours. We're a little bit over. Yeah. <laughs> we can literally expand upon this topic anytime. So we probably should just wrap her up. Yeah. And I was like biting my tongue because I had so many questions, like the partnership in general, I think is like a whole other topic that we'd love to talk about, but we have a panel discussion so people can ask any follow-up questions during that time. Um, here's your website, your Instagram, email. I didn't put the bright idea stuff on here, but we can mention that as well. And anything else you guys want to share? Yeah. Be the brightest.com. If you've ever done SLP summits with us, um, that is through our other company, bright ideas media. And so that's www.bethebrightest.com. Um, and this has been such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. Um, we literally, I think, I don't know if I've ever been so excited to talk about anything in my life. I loved it. So thank you. I think this is like a time capsule thing you guys need to keep for yourselves or like replicate it on your podcast and keep it for yourselves because it's like fun to see how like your journey has evolved and it's just so inspiring. So thank you both so much for sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Until next time. Wasn't that amazing? This episode is part of an online business conference event called SLP Creative Con. As a reminder, listening to this podcast episode does not automatically guarantee ASHA CEUs. If you want to earn 0.1 ASHA CEUs for this episode or up to 0.7 ASHA CEUs for all of the episodes, plus the perks like handouts, video playbacks, discount codes, then you still have a chance to register using the link in the show notes. And as a bonus, I'm throwing in a free webinar on how to build income stability with a side hustle as well as a top business books list into the exhibit hall for you. So just to summarize, in order to earn ASHA CEUs, first register for the conference with the link in the show notes, or you can go to www.tasseltogether.com and you'll see the SLP Creative Con tab. Then you'll be able to access the course feedback survey, quiz, and earn your certificate. Then please submit all required materials no later than June 18th 2023. Thank you so much for listening. I'm giving you a virtual high five for becoming your own boss and going after your business dreams.